Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. Today's episode, we're back again with another day in the life. This episode is very special to me because today's guest is someone that made me realize that I picked the right career path. I have the pleasure to talk with Dr. Carly Rose today, or also known as Dr. Rose on TikTok. Dr. Rose graduated from ICO in 2013. She then went on to pursue a residency at the Cincinnati VA in ocular disease. She now owns her own practice, Eye Care on the Square, in the greater Cincinnati area. And Dr. Rose also started her TikTok platform this past year to share her knowledge and passion for optometry with now thousands of followers. All right, so I will stop rambling and let my guest introduce herself and we'll get into her journey to become a successful practice owner. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Karen. It is, um, it's a really fun thing to talk about. Obviously, I like optometry a lot. I own my own practice. Like you said, I own my own practice here in Cincinnati. I have a six-year-old and I really enjoy it. So I am excited to discuss. Awesome. So um, we're going to get right into it. So most of us know you from your TikTok and you mentioned uh, in many of your TikToks that you never planned to go to college, let alone optometry school, right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. So how did optometry come on your radar and when did you realize that optometry is what you were called to do? So um, I mentioned multiple times that when I was in high school, I never planned on going to college. And one of my best friends did not want to go to college alone. So she filled out my application for me. And then, of course, I got in. And so I decided to go. I don't I don't really know why I just went with it, but I decided to go. And I realized that while I was there, I wanted to get a degree in a career that I could find a job easily to repay the student loans. I didn't want to just rack up a bunch of student loans. Well, joke's on me because then they just got kind of exponential. But um, I knew I wanted to go into the health field. I was always a big STEM kid anyway. And so I considered dental and pharmacy and OB-GYN and DERM. I think those were my main big, big ones I was considering. And I specifically did not consider optometry school because my older sister was in optometry school at the time. So we kind of thought it would be almost redundant to have multiple eye doctors in the family. And that steered me away. So I never even considered it. And then I eliminated all of those different careers for various reasons. And I kept coming back to optometry. Things like good work-life balance. And I didn't want to deliver life or death news. I didn't want, I didn't ever have any interest in surgery. I thought it would be really boring. I like my patients awake. I like to talk to them. I like to develop relationships. I wanted to see them back over and over, right. And get to know the people. Uh, Clearly I'm a little bit of an extrovert and a people person. So I was I, those were the ones I was considering. I eliminated everything. Optometry just fit into what I wanted. So I called my sister one day and I was like, would this be crazy if, if we both did this? Is that silly? And we were like, she was like, no, let's, let's just do it. And, um, we were like, but we just can't ever work together because we have a good working relationship. And then here we are working together. So it it all worked out beautifully. I do not regret anything. I think it's the perfect career for me. It gives me a lot of actually creative flexibility and those people connections I wanted 
really changing lives. I, I n actually never anticipated how much it would change lives. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize um, the scope that optometrists um, have a practice. It really depends on how comfortable you are because you learn obviously all the skills in school. Um, mm -hmm. It's just up to you, correct? Completely, correct. Yep, you are exactly right. And then you can go into, you can go into research, you can go into speaking, you can go into educating. I had no idea going into optometry school, all the different different avenues I had in front of me. And so I, I knew less then than I do now. And I'm, I'm just so glad I made this decision. Awesome. So we know about how you ended up in your undergrad um, university, but how did you end up choosing your optometry school? Did you end up going where your sister went? And if you have any advice or you, if you could give any advice for someone who is in the um, choosing process right now, um, what are some things to consider um, when choosing programs? Yeah. So what's funny is the optometry school in undergrad that I was, the optometry schools I was considering, I didn't end up going to. So what happened is I'm in Ohio and I just wanted to get out of Ohio. I grew up in a really small farm town and I just wanted to move to like a big city, just really explore the world. And so I was considering like Pacific or at the time, I believe there were three schools in California. I don't know how many there are now, but I know when I was applying, there were only around 16 or 17 schools. So I did not have a lot of choices and I was considering the West Coast. Well, then my sister, my other sister got pregnant when I was an undergrad and I was like, I cannot leave this baby. I cannot move all the way across the country and not know my niece, right? And so then I really narrowed down the optometry schools into drivable distance. So at the time for me, that left OSU and I knew I wanted to get out of Ohio. So OSU is a fantastic school. And in retrospect, I would have got state tuition, but I just wanted out of Ohio. And then there was Indiana. And to me, Indiana is Ohio. So I didn't even look at it. And my sister went to Memphis SEO, fantastic school, but I just wanted to try something different. I actually visited her a ton and I specifically wanted to get out of my comfort zone. So I didn't even consider Memphis. So that really left um, Chicago for me. It's drivable, it's a big city. And there was only um, ICO at the time. There was not the second optometry school in Chicago. So that was literally the only school I applied to I had never even visited Chicago before I applied. The first time I visited Chicago was during my interview. So it was completely sight unseen for me. I did not research the school. Maybe I'm not a good example. I just put all my eggs in one basket. And I was like, if I don't get in this year, no big deal. I will just reapply next year. And I'm, I told myself, I'm going to let them know in the interview process that you will be seeing me back if you don't let me in. So you might as well just let me in this round, right? And then in retrospect, it was a great decision. ICO is a great school. I had the best time in Chicago. It's still my favorite city. And so that being said, you asked about advice for someone choosing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, all of these schools are credentialed. They, you can look up the board pass rates. I think that's important because you want to be able to pass boards and be able to practice. And you can look up rankings and admission percentages. But I also want to say that it's completely valid to pick on location too. 
Um, all of the schools are great schools. And when you graduate, you will become an eye doctor and nobody's going to ask you where you went unless it's fellow students, right? Um, so whatever reason rings true with you, I think it's a valid one. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the time people um, think that, you know, you just have to go based on numbers, but sometimes you forget that you're going to spend your next four years there. So you mm -hmm. might choose a place that's going to make you happy and just achieve your highest potential. And I think you are a prime example that you just went because you knew that you didn't want Ohio. So that's eliminated a couple of schools. Um, and this was just really the only viable option for you. And here we are. Exactly. And do you want a big class? Do you want a small class? Do you want not close to home? Do you want really close to home? There's a lot of different variables besides just the metrics. Absolutely. Um, so you've completed a residency in ocular disease. Now, um, just for the listeners, residency is not required um, to practice as an optometrist in any state. So why um, did you choose to complete a residency and did that help you become a better practice owner? Yes. So when I was in optometry school, I knew 100% that I did not want to do a residency. I was like, I'm sick of being in school. I want to get out. I want to start working because, you know, I never even planned on going to school. I don't love school, even though here I am continuing school. But um, I was like, I just want to get out. I want to start making money. I want to start my life. I felt like I had been just imprisoned by the school system for so long. And then when I was in my third year rotations, my advanced disease clinical director was an ophthalmologist. She was wonderful. She called me out in front of all of my um, classmates that were in our rotation together. And I don't know why, but she said, hey, Carly, are you going to do a residency? And I said, nope. And she said, she looked me dead in the eyes and said, you will sell yourself short if you don't. And then just walked away. She didn't say anything else to any of the classmates. I was like, what are you doing? Why did you just say that? And um, I don't know why that's stuck in the back of my head, but I was still like, nope, not doing it. And because I also knew I wanted to own my own business, right? So why would I need to boost my resume for myself? I'm not going to look at my credentials, right? So then I did my next rotation in Cincinnati at the VA. And one day my chief called me down to her office and it's like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? And she sat me down and they had a residency program. And she said, hey, are you going to do a residency? And I was like, nope, I'm not interested. I am um, going to own my own practice. There's no point. And so then I went on to my third rotation in Colorado. And the day the residency applications were due in December, I got a text from the VA chief. And she said, hey, I have not received your application yet. And I called her and I was laughing and I said, I told you I'm not doing one. I only have a couple months left. And then she was like, I knew I wanted to start a family. I actually started trying to have, I'm totally crazy. I started trying to have my daughter in optometry school. So I knew that that was my projection. And so I was like, well, do you offer health insurance? what are the hours? What are we looking at? And so she started laying out the income, the benefits, the hours, the expectations. I was like, okay, it's only a year. I will do it. And I already knew the system. I already knew the doctors I'd be working with. And I loved my chief so much. We still talk. 
And so I did it and I am so, so, so grateful I did it. I learned so much. I am very comfortable with managing very advanced disease. So when I'm in a clinic setting, um, uh, it doesn't scare me to see end-stage diabetic retinopathy. I know what to do. It doesn't scare me to have a four-year-old with a corneal laceration from a construction knife. Like I, I feel a lot more comfortable knowing what I can manage, knowing what I want to refer out. And what I didn't realize at the time is that I would be really interested in speaking engagements because I hate public speaking. So I never thought that that would be something I wanted to do. And Throughout the years, I realized that it would benefit me because I really do feel like it gives back to the profession. And I feel like it's really important to do anything in education or speaking to have um, both residency. And then I ended up getting my fellowship. And so I think that's benefited me as well. And so it's kind of like you don't know what you're going to want to do in practice. So don't limit yourself. I think residency is insanely beneficial. Absolutely. So You've mentioned that you, ever since optometry school, you've always known that you wanted to own your own practice. So um, right outside, like right out of school after residency, did you work in different practice settings or did you just go into private practice um, right away? So I tried to buy a practice when I was in optometry school too. I, I don't know why I'm crazy, but that fell through. I've always known I wanted to do it. As I mentioned, I was pregnant in residency. So right after residency, I had uh, literally um, residency ended at the beginning of July and I had my daughter at the end of July. So brand new baby right out of residency. So I just worked three days a week for about a year or two. And I did multiple settings. And I actually think this ended up being beneficial for me. So I ended up going back to the VA and working as a staff um, optometrist. So I worked in a hospital setting. I worked in a corporate setting. I worked with my sister a little bit before I, so I bought my sister's practice is what ended up happening. So I worked for her in that practice as an associate for a little bit. And then I also worked in a almost boutique optical owned by an optician. And so it was just great to get multiple different settings to make sure I liked private practice. I think that's really beneficial. Yeah, so in working in those um, various settings, what do you think are some pros as well as also some cons if there's any of um, working in a private practice setting? Yes, so I always joke that I'm my, I am the worst boss I've ever had, right? So I have to set my, you think that if you own your own practice, you can just have these amazing schedules. But then when you own, you realize you really need to tailor the schedules to when patients want to come in. It's not like you open your doors nine to two and you just have this flood of patients. You might need the evening hours. You might need the Saturday hours to generate a patient base. And then you also may not get paid. My first year of ownership, my income was negative 42,000. So you really eat what you kill. It is all on your shoulders. If something totally messes up, there's no one to go to. So those are definitely the cons. Pros are I can practice how I want, right? So I think it's kind of obvious that I love dry eye. It's my favorite. And so I would practice at other locations and I wouldn't have a mybographer or I wouldn't have different treatment options. And you can't just go to that practice owner and ask them to purchase these pieces of equipment. So being your own owner allows you to practice how you feel like your patients need to be treated. So I love it. I love that 
that control, but it is, um, it can be scary. I often compare it to life in a fishbowl versus life in the big ocean, right? So you're in a fishbowl, you know, you're getting fed, you know, there are no predators and I don't know, it's safer, right? But then if you want the adventure and you want a change in diet and a change in scenery, you go in the big ocean, but there are all the scary predators and you might not eat. So it's very much your level of risk aversion for sure. Yeah, um, so you've touched on that a little bit. So most people usually see, you know, the glamorous side of being your own boss, your practice owner. You know, some people might think, oh, I make my own schedule. I go in whenever I want. But you um, once said that's far from the truth. So what are some like not so glamorous tasks that you're expected to do as a practice owner um, that you that your patients um, or listeners may not um, think about when they're considering opening up their own practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually have been talking to a lot of the optometry school private practice clubs about this, because I really want to make it clear, don't go into ownership because it does seem glamorous. If it's not the right fit for you, it is going to be horrible. So the hiring and firing of staff is very stressful and something I don't love to do at all. Firing specifically write-ups. Um, I have some staff horror stories. Now, of course, I also have some amazing staff members now. So that's a benefit to be able to connect with these wonderful people. But when you get a bad staff member, it's really horrible. And then things like taxes or just right now, I'm having to chase down my contractors to send them 1099s. And these are just dull, horrible things. The bookkeeping, the profit and loss. I don't like any of that stuff but it is part of the big puzzle. So you, it has to be done until you can delegate for sure. Yeah, so you, as of right now, you do all of that yourself? Yes, I do basically all HR myself, all accounting myself. I have a CPA for my taxes. I have a billing and coding company because billing and coding is also horrific. A lot of doctors that own that I know uh, do their own in-house and I just don't know how they do it. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of it myself and I'm actively growing. So hopefully I'll be able to grow into being able to hire a bookkeeper and hire HR and hire payroll, but we're just not there yet. Yeah. So, um, we obviously know that every working American was affected in some way, shape or fashion mm -hmm. by COVID-19. Um, so how did the pandemic affect your practice and how you took care of your patients? It was absolute chaos. It was horrible in the beginning days trying to figure out what you should do, right? I, I said, I sat my staff down and you don't know what's coming. And I told them we really have to be on the right side of history here because I heard a lot of people that just wanted to stay open for the business, for the numbers, right? And I was like, we can't do that. I don't, care if we go bankrupt. I can't risk killing a bunch of people because we had no idea how, how to safely protect everyone. And so I was like, I think we have to shut down. At the time, I thought it was only going to be two weeks and jokes on me, we were shut down for 10. But I was thinking at the time, how am I going to keep the doors open with closing for two weeks? I, it, it was very, very stressful. How do I lay off my entire staff, including two of my sisters? Two of my sisters were 
I was their boss and laying your family off is torture. Laying off a single mom is torture. Um, and then I stayed on, right? Cause I had to still, people had contact lens orders to pick up. People had glasses to pick up. People had medical emergencies. So I was working six or seven days a week trying to do the job of seven people um, safely. So it was really scary in the beginning. And then plus when I did have those emergencies, I ethically had to see them. And then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what do they have COVID? Do I have COVID? What are we doing right now? And thankfully at the time I had business consultants. I still have the same business consultants, but they were monumental in helping me prepare to reopen and get through it. But it was very scary to say the least. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this goes back to the not so glamorous things that um, come mm -hmm. with um, owning yeah. your own business and being your own boss. You have to make those tough calls, um, mm -hmm. making the right decision. So we're coming up on our last few questions here before we um, get into some listener questions. So the last question here is like a two in one situation. So we've talked about, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly of owning your own business. So obviously starting a business can be scary and it is let alone, you know, medical practice. And you shared a little bit about your journey, but how did you get started? You mentioned that you were an associate first and then you decided to um, buy out the practice. So you can go into as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable sharing, but how does that process work? And for someone who's looking into that, um, what should they expect? Yeah, great question. So I, before I actually bought my current office, I was looking at commercial space to open cold as well, because at the time nobody was selling. And so I've looked into purchasing as a student, opening cold as a doc. And then what happened was um, I was working one day a week at my sister's office. She opened cold. So I watched that whole process unfold. I'll touch a little bit on that. So opening cold, you have to establish everything. You usually have to do a build out. You have to get a designer. You have to do floor plans. You have to figure out which frames you're going to carry, what insurance you're going to be credentialed with. Then you actually have to credential with those insurance companies, which is also a nightmare. You have to set up things like computer systems and which software you're going to use and which credit card processors you're going to use. There are there's so much into opening cold, but the beauty is you get to open it right from the beginning how you want. So you can curate your patient base how you want. If you know you want a specific demographic, you can start right from the beginning. So there's pros and cons to that for sure. You build it in theory how you want to practice. And then what happened was my sister got into it and decided she actually hated the practice side, the ugly side of practice that she never anticipated. That's part of why I feel like it's almost my mission to talk to all of these students and be like, please do not be a practice owner just because you think it sounds great. You may actually hate it. And then it's a little bit trickier to get out of than just a typical job. A typical job, if you realize you hate it, you can give a two to four week notice and peace out. With um, ownership, you would have to either close the doors and take a massive loss or find a buyer. And it's a very niche market, right? You have to, in unless you sell to like private equity, you have to find a doc that wants to buy your specific practice. Well, I was working at her place one day a week 
and realizing that I wanted to pursue this again. Now that my daughter's a little bit older, I, that itch never went away. I knew it was coming and her and I obviously have open conversations all the time. And I realized that she did not like the practice side. And so I sat uh, one day, I was like, why don't you just let me buy it? And she literally said, I know how horrible it is. I will not do that to you. <laughs> and so she ethically did not want me to buy her practice because she had many sleepless nights about the staff issues. And it, there's so much behind the scenes. And I told her, I said, listen, if you don't sell me your practice, I will either open cold or buy another practice. I have to do this. So either you can get out and I can get in. It's a win-win situation in my opinion, or you can stay with your practice that you hate. You hate this business side, right? She loves the patient care. You can, you can continue um, and then you'll be miserable and I'll be opening cold. So just like, let me buy your practice, right? And funny enough, financing for acquisition is a lot trickier than opening cold. Every bank I talked to told me that. Like just open cold, we can give you $500,000. But if you're trying to buy, it was like pulling teeth. I don't really know why. This has probably changed since COVID because financing is obviously um, constantly changing. But it took us a long time to be able to get an acquisition loan for me. And then I finally did. And I took over 100% ownership. She stayed on as an associate. And it actually worked out beautifully, in my opinion. Um, but the bad side of acqu acquisition, there are obviously pros and cons of everything. Then you have a bunch of systems already in place and you have to try to change them. And it's kind of like changing the di uh, direction of a massive ship. It's like you, you have to just really continuously rework your projection. So I ended up changing multiple frame lines. Even I mentioned credit card processors. I changed our credit card processor. I changed our billing and coding processes. I changed the entire staff. It has taken, I mean, I've owned for three years now and we're still changing systems that were in place from so, and this is coming from my sister who we practice very similarly and we have the same type of idea of a mission statement and what she wanted in a practice is very similar to what I wanted in a practice and it's still monumental changes. So it would be very tricky to go into say a 20 year. And when, when I purchased, it was almost a five year. So it was still a very new business. Mm -hmm. It would be tricky to purchase a 20 year old established practice from a doctor who's set in his ways from staff who's been doing this this way for 20 years, it would, it will cause a lot of upheaval from the systems internally. So there's pros and cons to both ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dr. Rose. So we have a couple listener questions um, that they um, went ahead and sent in. Um, so we're just gonna dive right into them. Perfect. Uh, first question, how do you balance being a practice owner, a mom, and a social media influencer? <laughs> I know that last one is threw me for a loop. Never in a million years would I consider myself a social media influencer. It still feels very fraudulent to me. Um, balance is tricky. So work-life balance is one of the hardest parts for me of ownership. When I was an associate, I just left the job at home. I came home and that was it. There was a clear line. There was a clear boundary. As an owner, I love it so much that I'm constantly thinking about it. I'm doing things like this podcast on a Sunday morning, right? And it, it, it can be tricky. 
for me personally, I schedule everything. I schedule my gym. I schedule time with my friends and family. I schedule it all. And then I stick to that schedule. So I told you already um, before we started recording that as soon as like this wraps, I'm going to go to the gym because I know I need to make uh, my physical health a priority. It makes me a better business owner. It makes me a better mom. Obviously, it makes me healthier. So I um, I schedule these things and I think that's key and stick to it. Right now. I also, I have a daughter, so I want her to see that you can be a female entrepreneur, a female doctor, you can do anything you want. So I also don't feel nearly as much mom guilt as you could because society is rough because I know that that's how I want to raise her. I want her to see what I can do. And plus when you're an associate, a lot of places might have hours until 7 p.m. So I know in the back of my head, if I sold my office, I would just go work for somebody until maybe 7 p.m. So instead, what I might do is leave my office at five, come home, and then do emails until seven. Um, knowing that I'm, that's better, that's a better alternative in my mind than being at someone else's office until seven. At least physically, she can be there with me. She can ask me questions and she sees that I can balance both. But I think making it a priority and scheduling it is everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the second question here is from a listener. Um, I'm a third year student and I love your content. It got me thinking about private practice, but we do not learn enough about it. <laughs> cool. Any resources I can utilize? Um, that is very accurate. You learn nothing about ownership in school. You you will have to take a couple business classes and optometric management classes. They don't teach you anything, um, at least my experience. There's, the schools may be different, but everyone across the board I've talked to agrees. So uh, this may change for you guys, but probably not. Um, I already mentioned that I have business consultants. To me, they are invaluable. They make me look at my profit and loss statement monthly. They make me look at, they know what percentages, for example, payroll should be in. And they will be like, hey, Carly, your payroll's way too high. Or, hey, Carly, your marketing budget isn't enough. Or, hey, let's look at the cost of goods on this lab. These are things I would not know. I would not even realize that a 1% too high would make that big of a difference on the bottom dollar. Now, obviously, I'm learning these things as I go. But huge, huge, huge. Always like look for professional help or you don't have it. Also, I listen to a ton of podcasts and I read a ton of books about business ownership, not even necessarily, obviously, in the optometry world. Look outside of the practice. Um, look at best practices for entrepreneurs in general. One of my favorite books that I recommend to students before they get into ownership is a book by Michael Gerber called E-Myth. And that really highlights the difference between an entrepreneur, a manager, and a technician. And when I was reading it, I was seeing, oh, my sister's very much a technician. She loves the patient care side. She loves those moving parts. I'm very much an entrepreneur. I love dreaming big and pushing my boundaries and making these systems work and getting creative on marketing or outreach. I, I love that side. So I think it's huge to do a little self-reflection, read that book and really figure out what you do like. And then um, 
there are a lot of free classes, even through Ivy League schools. As long as you don't need the degree, you can learn the material. So you might be able to take a ton of business classes through Yale or Harvard for free. So take advantage of that. This is, in my opinion, one of the best times in all of history to be an owner, an owner because all of these resources are out there for you for free and just take advantage of them. I read constantly. Awesome. Um, so this question says, how do you stay up to date with new techniques, equipment, and eyewear styles? So COVID has definitely put a damper on this, but pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID when we can get back to normal life. Um, I love Academy. I go to Academy every year. I'm a fellow, an uh, FAAO, and I take all kinds of classes there, specifically dry eye now or anything that looks interesting to me. And they also have, um, oh gosh, what is it called? I don't know. They get the big room and they fill it up with all the new equipment and you can tour like it's like a showroom, right? And you can just walk around and look what's coming out. Those reps are, love to talk to you. So they will, they will talk your ear off. That's huge. Now frames, I was super excited this year to get really deep into the frame lines because historically, I always really wanted it well known that I practice medical optometry. I did not want to be known for just eyewear, right? But then I was like, well, you can totally do both. You can have amazing eyewear and you can be the best medical optometrist in the world. So we had full plans on going to the Vision Expo East and West and getting really excited about awesome frame lines. That got shut down. So now what I do is just get on these virtual forums. There are things like luxury eyewear or private practice clubs on Facebook, Facebook groups. Um, and then my business consultants, we have an email list with all the other doctors. So we can just ask each other, like Tom Ford does really well in my office. Do you have Tom Ford? Does it do well? What other frame lines might do well with it? And we just ask each other. But historically, these sh events and shows are awesome. And how often do you go to those shows? Are they like annually, biannually, or do they just kind of come up like every once in a while? Vision is they, the big ones stick to kind of a loose schedule. So for example, Academy is always at different cities and either um, September or October, sometimes November. And then Vision Expo East is usually in the spring in New York. Vision Expo West is in the fall in Vegas. And then there are a ton of other ones, right? They kind of follow a similar schedule. They respect each other to try to be at different times or let's say Academy would be in Vegas one year, Vision Expo, they would probably try to schedule the conferences to be similar to each other to where it makes it convenient for the optometric community. Um, and then I already mentioned that I'm getting into speaking. So there I was doing, I was going to more of them to also speak. I have no idea what the future is going to look like with those. So I, I know that, for example, Expo East, always in New York, it has that um, like high-end fashion vibe type of thing. They just moved it to Florida to be safer. And, and so there's like a little bit of drama going on right now with, oh my gosh, you can't have Vision Expo East in Florida. It's always in New York, but things are changing. We'll see how it shakes out, but there's tons of opportunity. And the optometry community as a whole is very small and connected. And so we're in, I like to think that we are all out here to help each other. Yeah, I mean, we're going to keep up to date with you on your TikTok and Instagram to see um, 
whenever you go to those expos, we're going to keep up to date with you. Mm -hmm. um, the last question here is kind of a fun one, and I decided to include it just to kind of end on a happy note. So if you could do anything besides optometry, what would you be doing? So I already mentioned the few careers I considered before I decided on optometry. I really do think I would have loved derm. Now that I'm practicing so much, I really do think I would have loved dermatology. But I don't know. I always joke that if I lost my optometry license tomorrow, I don't think I'd go back to school for that long. I have always thought it would be very cool to work at Whole Foods. All of those employees always seem so happy. And I just think that that would be such a chill, awesome job, right? That's, That's what I would do is work at Whole Foods, just stocking <laughs> shelves. All right, Dr. Rose. Well, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to record this episode with us. Um, we learned a lot from you. You are so welcome. It was great. So that is all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed recording it and preparing for it. And as always, to keep up with the podcast, make sure to follow us on Instagram at keepin.it.od. Reach out to me if you have any questions or if you want to collab on an episode. I would love to work with you. And as always, I will see you right back here next week with a brand new episode and we'll be keeping it OD. Thank you guys.